Good evening, folks. Um, we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 24. And we'll just take time to, to read the passage. So the word of God in Exodus chapter 24, verse 1 says this, and I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. Then he said to Moses, Come up to Yahweh, you and Aaron, Nabab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you all shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to Yahweh, but they shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of Yahweh, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to Yahweh. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that Yahweh has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which Yahweh has cut with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nabab and Abihu and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they beheld God and they ate and drank. Now Yahweh said to Moses, Come up to me in the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua his attendant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Remain here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of Yahweh dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a consuming fire on the mountain top in the eyes of the sons of Israel. Then Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Amen. Amen. And the Lord will add a blessing to this, the reading of his holy word. Now outside of salvation, I put to you that marriage is by far the biggest decision that you will ever have to make. Marriage is something that demands careful, prayerful consideration because the choice of your marriage partner 
will determine to a very great extent the nature and the course of your life. Those of us who are married are, married are those perhaps who are in the process of potentially, whatever stage you're at, it involves a time of courtship, a time of engagement, and then marriage itself. And this is how I would like to address this passage this evening. Um, because as we make solemn vows in marriage, so too is there a solemnity about this passage in the sense that God cut a covenant with the children of Israel that day on the, at the bottom of Mount Sinai. I don't wish to speak much about the courtship and the engagement phase because this is something that you will have discussed over the previous weeks. Suffice to say that the, the courtship of Israel really began from, from, from the nation's perspective in the land of Egypt. Of how the Lord brought the children of Israel out from slavery, out from the slavery of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the desert itself. This was the courtship period and you will have dealt with that, chapter 7 and following in the book of Exodus. What then followed? Having courted the nation of Israel out of Egypt, the Lord now makes a proposal to the children of Israel about their future life together. And you read that in Exodus chapter 19, and it's verse 5. And the Lord says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and that's you know the, the Decalogue in chapter 20 of Exodus, and then following chapters 21 to 23, all the spiritual, moral, and civic responsibilities that you have, uh, before me, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, this is a pr pr proposal. If you do these things, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to be a special treasure to me above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Moses comes and recounts this in verse 3 of our chapter this evening. In verse, verse 3 it says, And Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of Yahweh and all the judgments. These pro you know, this, this proposal, if you obey my voice, if you obey my covenant and my commandments, then you will be to me a special people above all the peoples of the world. You'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. How did the people respond? I don't think there's any... There's, they, they have, you know, the words are just off of the, the lips of, of Moses. And in verse 3, the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which Yahweh has spoken, we will do. There's great unity here. What a proposal. 
If you agree to obey all these commandments that I've given to you, that I've articulated to Moses and he's now passed them on to you, if you agree to obey all of these things, then you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a treasured possession above all the peoples of the world. You know, this is the the original rags to riches story. You know, this ragtag nation, this slave nation that, that, occupied, that, that, that was in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God is saying, I've taken you out of there. And I'm going to make you a special people. This is my proposal, this is my proposition. And the people agree. A wise choice. It's a wise choice. Uh, yes, Lord, of all the peoples. Um, I, I want to be a part of this. And so we have, let's call it the, 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 the covenant cutting ceremony or, or, or the marriage ceremony. And the big day has come. And early in the morning in, in verse 4, Moses writes down all the words of Yahweh. These words that the Lord God had articulated and presented them to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Of how Moses writes them all down. Records them in what is called the book of the covenant. Verse 8. And uh, so Moses writes down all these words. And in the morning he builds an altar at the foot of the mountain this would be representative of the Lord God this is representative representative of Yahweh and he also not only does he build or construct an altar but also twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel representative of the twelve nations of Israel and in my mind's eye we have the altar and surrounding the altar are these twelve pillars A proposal made by God. Accepted by the people. Represented by the altar and by the twelve pillars. You know as the bride prepares herself prior on the day of the wedding. I'd imagine for, for any man that would be a pretty painful experience waiting for the whole process but I mean a, a bride prepares herself for, for, for the big day the same is true for the children of Israel so too with the children of Israel and we read of young men verse 5 of the sons of Israel and I, I judge these are probably the firstborn these are, these are firstborn children a priesthood has not yet been established and these young men go throughout the tribe, go throughout the nation, the people, and they offer burnt offerings and sacrifice young bulls as peace offerings to God. Why is this? Well, well the burnt offerings are offered for atonement, to cover the sins that the people have made. And having these sins covered, they offer, as I've read, uh, peace offerings which, which enables fellowship with God. And so they're, they're, they're prepared. The nation of Israel are prepared for the ceremony. 
And the sheer weight of this should not be lost upon us, from us. You know, I think it's certainly increasing with myself. Whenever um, I attend a, a marriage ceremony, I find it it's an awesome thing. Yes, there are two people, a, a bride and a groom, and uh, they exchange vows. And in the exchanging of these vows, it is the Lord God who unites them. It's an awesome thing. It's a wonderful thing that the Lord God in heaven is watching, he's looking down and he's joining these two people as they make vows together. It must not be lost upon us as to who it is whom the children of Israel are joining themselves to. As you've gone through and enjoyed going through the book of Exodus, let's just remind ourselves as to how we can behold, as we sang in our, our last time, as how we can behold our God. For example, in chapter 3, he reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. And he says to Moses, Say that I am has sent you. The self-existent one. The one who has existed for eternity. Regardless as to how far back in the eons of time. God has always existed. He is self-existent. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He's never changed. He's never developed. He's never became more holy. We've sang about that this evening. He always has been. He's never become more knowledgeable. He's never become stronger. He has always been who he is. He is self-existent. Not only that. Chapter 6. He reveals himself as being faithful. It's a wonderful thing. He says to Moses, you know, I remember... The promises that I made to your forefathers. Yes, I know, Moses, that you as a nation are in the land of Egypt. But I remember the promises that I made to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. That you're going to be a nation and you're going to possess the land of Canaan. I remember that. I am faithful to these promises. In chapter 7 to 12... He reveals himself not only to the children of Israel but to the peoples of Egypt as being omnipotent. As the Lord God systematically overthrows and defeats the false deities that the, people, that, that, that the peoples of Egypt worshipped as he, as he sends ten different plagues upon the nation. Showing himself to be almighty. To, that, that these idols are nothing. He displays his power. And then we come to Sinai. Imagine this. You know, you come to the bottom of a mountain and you've been led through the desert and you see Sinai there and um, it's surrounded with a dense cloud and there's thunders and there's lightnings flashes and the mountain is smoking and, and the sound of the trumpet and there's earthquakes and it's an awesome thing 
And it's clearly, this is not a union between equals. That's an important thing to remember. This is not a union. This is not a contract. This is not a covenant between equals. It's not a union between equals. You know, the children of Israel were in no doubt as to the holiness of God. Chapter 20, verse 19. They beg Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us lest we die. Ponder these things when we get home, when you get home this evening. To behold our God. Paul prayed about pride in the prayer meeting. The the antidote to pride is to behold our God. To realise that before God we are absolutely nothing. Yes, it's easy to compare ourselves with man. And we'll find somebody who we consider to be better than or superior to. Look at me, I'm better than that person. But really between God and man there is a huge gulf, isn't there? Behold our God when we go home. Consider him. Consider him. It's humbling, which is helpful spiritually. And so we come to the covenant cutting ceremony. Verse 8. You know, the, a marriage is a weighty thing. I've said that, haven't I? Of how the Lord God unites two people and and makes them one. It's an awesome thing. And during the vows that that the bride and the groom exchange, they will say something along the lines, till death us do part. Well, what we have in this covenant cutting ceremony is not till death us do part, but rather, if I part from the words of this covenant then death unto me if I depart from the words of this covenant then death unto me how can I say that I think it's important for us to understand exactly what is meant here in Genesis chapter 15 we have the passage where we read of Yahweh cutting a covenant. And in Genesis chapter 15, for example, we read that the Lord God in verse 5 brings Abraham outside. And he says, Abraham, I know you're childless. I know that your wife Sarah is barren. But look toward the heavens. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he, the Lord God, says to Abraham, So shall your seed be. Verse 8, O Lord Yahweh, Abraham responds, How may I know that I will possess it? How may I know that this land that you promised, that, we should, that, that my seed, and I know I'm, I'm ba- my wife is barren, I've got no children, how shall I know that these things shall be fulfilled? The Lord God says, well, take a heifer, a three-year-old heifer, 
a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old male uh, old ram, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And verse 10, bring all these things and split them into parts down the middle and laid each part opposite the other, but he did not split apart the birds. And then verses 17 to 18. Now it happened that the sun set, it was very dark, and behold there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, Yahweh cut a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And so here we have animals severed. It must have an awful scene, really, you know, full of blood. And the Lord God has made this promise to Abraham. And it is the Lord God only who passes through the middle. In Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 18. And the men who transgressed my covenant, those who did not fulfill the words that they have signed up to, and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like they cut in two and passed between its parts. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and, and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be as food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And so what, what, what the symbolism is this, that if you break the terms of this covenant, then you will be as one of these dead animals, you will die. The promise that the covenant that the Lord God made to, Israel, to, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 was dependent upon God alone. It was a unilateral covenant. And God is saying, if I fail to keep the words of this covenant, then I shall die. And if you fail to keep the words of this covenant, then I shall die. Nothing is dependent upon you, Abraham. It's all upon me, the Lord God is saying. What we have in our passage this evening is not a unilateral covenant it's a bilateral covenant both sides are making a pledge and a promise and that's an important distinction because Moses he threw half of the blood of the offering onto the altar and with the other half he sprinkles it or casts it, throws it onto the people of Israel, perhaps onto the twelve pillars of stone. It's a bilateral covenant. You know, the rest of the story of the Old Testament is essentially a story of their marriage. It's a story of, of the Lord God Yahweh's total faithfulness to the children of Israel. And it's also a story of, at best, the, children's of, the children of Israel's partial faithfulness to God. They were unfaithful to this covenant. This covenant was not able, essentially, to deliver them. And that is hinted at in the sense that in verses 10 to 12, um, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and, the se- and 70, elders, 70 of the elders of Israel, of how they're taken up to Mount Sinai. And it must have been an awesome thing. 
and they see under the feet of the Lord God himself. Uh, there appeared under his feet a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. And it's difficult to go really beyond what scripture has to say there, what it has to, what it has to teach. But this is only as far as this covenant allowed them or enabled them to go. Uh, they only could look under the feet of the Lord God. Uh, the inadequacy of the covenant to have a full and healthy marriage, if I can use that term. There's a wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 64. Now read these words. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 3. When you did awesome things for which we did not hope, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. Now I think this is a clear reference to Exodus chapter 24. The mountains quaked at your presence. For from ancient times they have not heard or given ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. I has not seen, nor ear heard, of a God who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. False gods wait while their people, while those enslaved to them work. They are waiting to be impressed by them, whilst. The true God, he doesn't wait for his people, but he acts on behalf of his people. No eye has seen, nor ear heard. What a majestic God we have to behold this evening. That this covenant that Moses and the children of Israel entered into was inadequate. It could never save. It could never bring the people pulling completely into the presence of God. Well, there is one who has. God has done that. In the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 we read of him. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by the means, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. But by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. You know what took place at the bottom of, of Mount Sinai was, was enormous. was huge. But what took place... On Calvary was infinitely greater. When the Son of God, this one who is with Moses on top of the mount, this one who is awesome in all his ways of how this one entered into time itself that he created, became a man, became a babe in the womb of Mary. We lived as, as a man amongst men, but different from you and I, sinless and perfect. Ultimately, he went to the cross of Calvary 
to fulfill the plan and the will of God. Why? To die for our sins. This is our God who acted on our behalf. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what Christ has done. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, He, the Lord Jesus Christ, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Wonderfully, this covenant is a unilateral covenant. It's not a bilateral covenant. It's not dependent upon the faithfulness of ourselves, but rather it's dependent solely upon the person and the work of Christ. This is my body given for you. This, is, this cup is a new covenant in my, in my blood which is poured out for you. This is a weighty thing. It's, there's nothing more important than breaking bread and drinking wine on a Sunday morning. Nothing comes close. For it points to, back to this once for all sacrifice. Praise God that our God acted in behalf of his people who could not deliver themselves now the second part of the passage from verse 12 quickly um, you know with marriage there is a change in relationship isn't there two people come in the bride and the groom and they come in as two individuals, two separate entities. And yet when the vows have been exchanged, when the Lord God has joined them, they leave as one. They are now one flesh. There's a change in relationship. And now as a result of Israel exchanging these vows, as a result of God cutting this covenant with the children of Israel, there is a change in relationship. Yes, previously they were a slave nation, but now, now, they are a nation under God. A change in relationship. With a change in relationship, there's a change in status, there is a change in responsibilities. And the next chapters that you'll go into tell us how the, of how this nation, this nation who is under God, how they are to worship him. That's really important. How as a nation they are to worship, how they are to respond to God. The same is true for ourselves, isn't it? You know, when we came to faith in Christ, there was a change in relationship as well, wasn't there? There was a change in status. There was a change in standing. You know, we were in Adam. But now at the, at the moment of salvation, we were in Christ. We were, we were lovers of darkness and haters of light. But the moment we came to faith in Christ, we loved the light. 
and we were attracted and drawn to the light. We became sons and daughters of the living God. We became co-heirs with Christ. We were previously strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. A great change in relationship and status and standing before God. And we can learn some important principles um, from these verses. For example, in verse 14, we learn that uh, nothing ought to distract ourselves from our love and our adoration of our God. You know, Moses was, was the leader at a human level of the nation of Israel. An incredibly busy man. Couldn't really begin to conceive how busy he would have been looking after the best part of two million people. Can you imagine all the problems, all the difficulties, you know, all the squabbles and, and, and pastoral issues? Um, it would have been, yeah, what a man, what a man, um, an incredibly busy man. Uh, but in verse 14, he says, uh, Remain here for us until we return to you, and behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. So Moses and Joshua went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. So we, here we have this incredibly busy man. But he wants to spend time with his God. He wants to spend time with his God. And he makes plans for that. He says, you know, if any of you folks have a civic dispute, and I know you will have, if you have, a, if you have a civic dispute, then speak to these men. But as for me, I'm going up, up to the mountain, and I'm going to spend time with my God. Nothing is going to distract me from this. Nothing is going to divert me from this. The application for us is clear, isn't it? We've got to be intentional in spending time with our God. For some it may be in the morning, for some it may be in the middle of the day, for some it may be in the evening, but we have got to be intentional in spending time with our God. The Lord Jesus Christ, look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith. Well, what did Christ do? Of how early in the morning we read in the book of Isaiah, he sought God. We read of him in the morning, get, getting up early before everyone else was up, spending time with his God in prayer. We, we read of him spending the whole night in prayer. He was intentional about this. It is for us to be intentional. I put to you this evening that we can do more at a human level in the presence of God than what we can ever do as we serve the Lord, you know, as we go about our daily lives. I'm convinced by that. We can do more in the presence of God than what we can do as we serve the Lord in our lives. Take time with our God. Be intentional about these things. Finally, verses 16 and 17. We are not to enter 
glibly into the presence of God. Imagine this. Though the glory of Yahweh dwelt in Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. Now, let's just think about that. Put yourself in the place of Moses. You're on the mount. You're with Joshua on Mount Sinai, and this thick cloud is surrounding you. And I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what Moses is thinking here. I'm sure that Moses is acutely aware of his own sinfulness. You know, we sang, a, we sang from Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Um, and just, uh, be a, you know, it reminds me of Isaiah 6, doesn't it? Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Woe is me, for I'm a man of impure lips, and I've seen the living God. Or Peter, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Lord, I'm sure that Moses would have been very aware of his sinfulness. I'm also sure that Moses would marvel and and was aware of the grace of God and the provision of God. He would have thought about the gracious provision of the manna. He would have thought about the gracious provision of water from the rock. He would have thought about about how God is a God of deliverance, of how he delivered them from the, from the nation of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea and taken them to this point in Mount Sinai. He would have thought all of these things. And uh, the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses went in to the presence of God. I think it's for us to be careful when we enter into the presence of God to not be glib but with the uttermost reverence we approach God we enter into this consuming fire if you like not to be done lightly it's an awesome thing as we come into the presence of God through prayer. So these are just a few thoughts from this passage in Exodus chapter 24. Let us pray. A gracious God, as we bow before you this evening, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who cuts a covenant. This is something that you're serious about. And God, we think of how the covenant that you cut with Moses and the children of Israel, of how they could could never be delivered from their sin, of how they could never be fully restored to you. And yes, they could look under your feet, but they couldn't see your face. My gracious God, this evening we thank you for Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you acted in behalf of your people. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you, the Holy One of God, was willing to give your body as an offering for sin. That you are willing, you, the Eternal One, of how you are willing to die for our sins. Lord Jesus Christ, this evening we thank you that it was not with the blood of goats and bulls, 
that eternal redemption has been wrought. But it was with your precious blood. We thank you that you did not enter into the tabernacle on earth. But you entered into heaven itself. We thank you that your sacrifice satisfied your heavenly father. We thank you Lord Jesus Christ that by your death we have been made free. That by your death we are children of God. Heavenly Father we pray that you may help us to become more intentional. To spend time with you. To meditate upon you. To muse upon you. To behold our God more clearly. Open our eyes we pray. God may we do so. And as we grow in our knowledge of you, we know that this will prevent us from entering glibly into your presence. To go to a place where angels fear to tread. Gracious God, help us to become the people whom we ought to be. For we ask these things in our Saviour's wonderful name. Amen. Amen.